Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Nepp. Today, I've got Yume Chang with me. Uh, it's another day for a fantastic interview and this interview could not be more timely. 2020 was a brutal year and with the lockdowns and quarantines due to COVID, we have seen a tremendous amount of increase in family harm, domestic violence, uh, childhood abuse. And it is a phenomenon that has occurred throughout the world from Nigeria to Europe, United States to New Zealand. And it is a topic that is very close to my heart here in, in Rotorua. We have got a huge family harm uh, issue and I want to talk about that far more and raise awareness of that. And I couldn't have a better guest with me to explore that than Yume. So Yume, thank you very much for coming onto my show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on your show, Stefan. Um, it was also an honor to interview you as somebody who obviously is a doctor, have a great life, et cetera. But then you went through a real challenge and you came out the other side and now you're doing this work to help people. And I always admire people that take their trauma and tragedy and then turn it into something that helps the rest of the world. So kudos to you. And likewise, because there's equally a huge transformation there in your story. We were both on the outside, high achiever, uh, not what were, we are high achievers. We are, we have made something out of ourselves. And that is what people see. What they don't see is the trauma inside of us. And I guess for a long time, you were probably trying to hide that trauma as well. I, I mean, why don't we go back to where it all started with you? You were... Uh, how did your story start when you were a young child? Sure. What were sort of the first memories that come to your mind? Yeah, of course. So the little bit of background is I grew up in Taiwan and I immigrated here by myself with no money when I was uh, 20 years old for Stanford. So for the most part, I lived in Taiwan. My parents were abusive. So one of them is a covert narcissist, malignant is what I would, uh, malignant, overt narcissistic person is my father. And my mother is a covert narcissist who enables him to do abuse. And then from time to time, he would, she would add some on her own. So I think part of me wanting to do well was the, the will to become independent. That is something that I've, I think I was blessed with. I did not buy into the family system they tried to impose upon me. And luckily, my siblings eventually all saw through it as well. So we we're all free from that family system. However, the desire to become free then kind of became a compelling force as in it's never enough, right? Now that I got the degree, got to buy the house, got to buy the house, got to start the business, have to find a husband. <laughs> so life then becomes a series of check marks. And, mm. and I've always felt that maybe it's the one more thing. Maybe if the first it started with, if I get the green card, once I have the green card, I am safe landing in the United States. I can stay here forever. Mm -hmm. I do not have to go back to Taiwan. That's my worst nightmare. 
But then of course that happiness didn't last. I think you probably most people that chase success as a way to feel better have experienced that. It might feel good for a day, a week, maybe even a month. And then eventually you're back to the same grind. Like it's not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm feeling so stressed and anxious. The same feeling that I had when I was a child and unsafe, it returns to me in full force. So then the mind goes, you know, what is the next thing I need? Oh, it must be because I don't have a house. If you don't have your own house, how can you say that you're settled? You must buy the house. Well, you know, maybe it's because I'm not, not financially independent. I still have to work for a living. If I have to work for somebody, I am not really safe because they could fire me any day and I would be on the streets and then back to Taiwan, right? Everything goes all the way in a catastrophic thinking of, I don't make it here. I go back to Taiwan. I'm back in that hell of a place that I try so hard to get out of. So that narrative never stopped. And I did not know how to get out of it. I just kept trying to add more and more um, onto my resume to try to feel better. And I think it took the breakup of my first marriage for me to realize that, you know, something is not right. Because when, when I was at the deep of my despair, the question just came out of the blue into my mind, you know, why am I here? <laughs> why do I even bother to exist? At that point, if there was a button somewhere that I can press and I would just vaporize, you know, hopefully there's no pain, but vaporize, erase me from the, from this earth and that nobody remembered me as if I never existed, I definitely would have pushed the button then. And it's, it's, I recognize myself so much in your story because there's now that you spelled it out and may I say your words are so much more eloquent uh, than, than mine, but you have, you've nailed so many of these, these experiences, these emotions when you're just not happy and you know, ah, oh, I just do one more or one more this. I must be that. I achieved that. I looked at my resume, my curriculum vitae in the past, and it was achievement after achievement, after publication, after this. And you, you just think, wow. And that wow, this kind of celebration, that lasted what, five minutes? So that satisfaction that you have achieved something, nah, it was, I could never celebrate. And I think to this day, I struggle to celebrate my achievements. I have to physically stop and say, look, Stefan, what you did this year. Look at that. You just did that book. You did that. But it, it doesn't come easy. So I feel, oh, hell, yes, I feel very much like you. But yeah. you actually achieved that point. You came to that point yourself where you suddenly said, wow, okay. I mean, out of interest, out of interest, there was, there was a lot of pain in your words. There's a lot of strife in your words. But so was it with me. But I fell, I fell back onto alcohol I, because this pain needed numbing at some stage. How did you numb your pain? How did you... How did you get to rest how could you to get these worries to shut up oh that's easy in my case it's non-stop action orientation right. <laughs> i've always been an athlete right so i would uh, play tennis i use balls basketball whatever i can use to hit because um, i was physically abused when you're 
a child that's been physically abused, there's a lot of pent up injustice, a lot of anger. The feeling that I felt growing up has always been, there's this lump in my throat. Guess what? Because if I speak up, I get beaten. When I get sent to the hospitals, the doctors don't do anything, even though they know that it's abuse from my parents. Nothing will be done. So that's the world I lived in. So all this anger that's pent up, I use sports as a channel. So when I was dealing with the divorce, what I did was I would bike, say, you know, 200 miles sometimes. <laughs> uh, oftentimes on a weekend, it's 80 miles straight at very high speed because I was part of a race group. So that's how I dealt with it. I used sports. I worked a lot. So I started a business while I was working full time as a salesperson at Microsoft. Right. That's just I can work an enormous amount of hours and it's a way to take my mind off of what's of truly bothering me. I don't have to feel the emotions because the feeling of sadness of being betrayed by people that are supposed to love you is too much. I'd rather work myself to death. Mm. I'd rather ride hundreds of miles than to have to feel that feeling. Mm. And, but and eventually is, catches up with you. Oh, hell yes. And essentially what you describe is pure addiction there. You just focused, you, you wanted to get rid of the pain. And while style used alcohol, you used exercise and right. not just normal exercise. This is just you until your body literally collapsed. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I say the word burnout, what, what happens in your mind when I say burnout? Did you ever burn out? Yeah, I think the burnout feeling is that I want to stop, but I don't know if I could. And I don't know what I'd be if I stopped. So I couldn't stop. And I think for me, the reckoning was when I realized when my ex-husband and I separated and I thought, you know, this person who claimed that he will always love me, right, obviously was lying (laughs) or didn't know what he was talking about or that was not true. If everything that I ever have can be taken away. Cause I know logically the house can be taken away, right? Oh. One day I will age. My body will not be the same. The job, I can't, you know, I, I can't work at a Google oh. until I'm like hundred years old. They're not gonna keep hundred year old ladies around. So all these things will go away. And if somebody that I count on to love me also goes away, what do I have and where is my value? Cause I've been conditioned growing up by my parents that I have no value. That's the message they've always given me, that as their child, I have no value other than what I can provide them. And what I can provide them is I can serve them, right? I can do things for them, and I can help them look good by being a high achiever. By um, I was one of the children that was allowed to go to college by skipping 12th grade, so I never went to 12th grade. I was in college at 16. My parents loved that. So they were nice to me for like, say, a week, no beatings. That reinforced the message in me that to be safe, to be worth somebody, to be worthwhile, I have to perform. So then I always felt like I was the workhorse. So when you have that mentality that love is earned, you fundamentally are zero. Everything that you are, you have to work for it. Then guess what? In relationships, you will attract people that love it. My ex-husband loved it, right? He barely made any money because he doesn't like to work. He said, I just don't like to work. I like to play. I like to be out all day, (laughs) running in the woods, enjoying life. (laughs) And he's after shortly after we got married, he's like, you know, I want to have children. So um, how about this? I'll quit my job and let's have a baby. I'll be a stay-at-home dad. And I said, 
what do I get out of that? I never wanted kids. I was very upfront with you, right? What changed? So in looking back, I realized that I have this energy of I will take care of things. I will work hard. I will beat a horse. Like I'll lift the cart for both of us. It's no wonder that I will attract somebody like that. And I see women and men that having this energy of I'm the one responsible to make everybody happy. I'm the one responsible to take care of everybody. When you overextend yourself, you are going to attract people that will use you or abuse you. So that's what I, when I work with ladies in my group, Life is Love School, that's the one message I do tell them is you have to recognize your value, your intrinsic value. You cannot make it more and it cannot be less. You're born with that. As in, let's say that, you know, I'm vanilla, right? And some people just don't like the flavor of vanilla. It does not change how good and my value. Just because somebody doesn't appreciate who I am doesn't change it. <laughs> does that make sense? A hell of a lot. A hell of a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, and then part of the reckoning is also, you know, when I look at my cat, right? It's We adopted a black cat. It's now in her 60s. The reason I love that cat has nothing to do with whether the cat can high five me or not. Yes, I trained a cat to high five, but it didn't change how much I love her. Can she do anything for me? No, we do everything for her, but her loveliness is there. Just like when I look at all my good friends and the friends that love me truly for who I am, they don't care if I have 10 wrinkles, they don't care how much money I have in my bank account and vice versa, right? Just like you and I connect for the same reason it's something so intrinsic that has nothing to do with anything that you could put on a resume or take away from a resume and that's so beautiful but i mean what astounds me is that you were able to transform yourself in such a way this must have been one of the most difficult things for you because you had to stop for a moment there you had to accept that what you were doing was fundamentally self-destructive and yes. could only go for this long. Did you have any help there? I mean, you had that insight, but what actually happened? What, how long did that transformation take? Yeah. That's a good question. So I think as part of, you know, the when I work with survivors on Life is Love School, so for those people that don't know, uh, on the side, I run this website called Life is Love School to specifically help people similar to me that has suffered parental abuse and later relationship abuse. The revictimization rate is astonishing. It's about like 95 to 97%. So if somebody treated you poorly when you were growing up, guess what? More, most likely you will at least go through one or a few of those relationships until you have a reckoning. And the reckoning is, why does this keep happening to me? Is it really other people's fault? Or am I either attracting or keeping these type of people, right? Until you see that, you are going to repeat that cycle over and over. And that's really something I want to stop because if I can stop a 20-some-year-old, men or women, from getting into an abusive relationship, I can help stop another child from being abused the way I was. So that's really fundamentally what's driving what I do. And that really truly fulfills me. So kind of to your question, how did I have that reckoning? Um, as part of the divorce, I realized, you know, what is my part, right? 
I grew up with narcissistic parents and my siblings and I all learned gray rock. In Taiwan, there is no, hey, you know, this is what narcissism looks like. There's zero awareness of it. But when you grew up in that environment, kids are very adaptive. You very soon learn that to be safe, you act basically almost like a, like a retarded boy, right? You just say the bare minimal things, lower your attack surface. And that's literally gray rocking. And what the message I also learned from growing up with parents that don't care about how I feel and my needs is I don't communicate it. So if my parents hurt me, first of all, I don't show any pain. Because if I show pain, that tells them that they got me and they will do it again, oh. right? Again, kind of narcissism 101. So I'm literally like a little robot. But a little robot doesn't do very well in a relationship. So for example, if I'm in an intimate relationship and somebody hurts me, the adaptive way would be to communicate the pain, right? I care about you. So when you say this, this is how I feel, right? You at least give that person a chance to fix the issue. But coming from a trauma background, the reaction is you hurt me. You did that on purpose. <laughs> there is no point in communicating with you. I won't communicate. So that doesn't give the relationship a chance to repair. So I have to look at these things one by one and say, okay, what is it that I carried from my childhood that helped me survive? I will not resent myself for having these coping mechanisms because at one point in my life, it was absolutely necessary. But now the environment has changed. Do I want to be a dinosaur <laughs> and face extinction? Or do I want to look at it and say, I'm an adult now. I'm yeah. no longer a child. I have an adult body. I have adult mind, adult power, adult resources. I can handle it. I do not need to regress to being a five-year-old that does not communicate. So those are decisions. Did anybody help me? Yes, absolutely. I have very wise friends that would ask me questions to help me think. I have sought therapy since my 20s. Basically, as soon as I have the money to pay for therapy, I did. I think that's one of the best investments. Mm. It's not sort of like having a workout coach, right? We have workout coaches, career coaches. We go to school. But school doesn't teach us mm. some of the most important things in life, emotional regulations, how to skillfully manage conflict, mm how to set boundaries. None of that is taught to us, but it's so important. Why not invest in yourself? <laughs> <laughs> it took the words out of my mouth. I keep saying that. I mean, I learned these things in rehab. So I had a four weeks inpatient rehab and it was exactly what you have just described. These kind of things, which I did not learn until I was in my mid forties for crying out loud. Let's make rehab, quotation mark, uh, a mandatory school subject. And I mean mandatory as in you turn 16, you go four weeks into this yeah. this emotional school. If you if you don't like rehab, let's call it emotional school. You know, it is uh, life 101 kind of thing. And yes. it is so of such paramount importance. But that is wishful thinking. There are some, in some places in the world, people are trying that, but these are few and far between. So I think the reality is that most of the people who will listen to our show and, and, and view this interview, they will be in similar shoes as we have been. 
they they might have a lot of aha moments like I have when I'm talking to you. And it is those those people that I am so pleased that these are listening now. Because you guys, you made the hugest, the biggest step. You you actually see that something is not right in your life and you're you're wondering if maybe your childhood has something to do with that and chances are yes it has so here you are and and please listen because you might you 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 had from the word go you had such an open attitude towards improving yourself i was the same like you yet when it came to my emotions I was closed like like a bank vault. There was no way that I would have accepted that something was wrong inside of me. For me, no, no, no. Everyone else was. It, the, the problem here. He is the problem. She is the problem. Never myself. So, so when did you really develop that that acceptance? Because after all, you strived for for perfection. To to be perfect, you cannot accept that you are anything but perfect. So therefore, come on, when when did that first arrive, this acceptance? When did you say, I want to see a therapist? I think I was always very open to change. That's one of the things that yeah. maybe it's just fundamental to me. Right. Um, I also have, I was born a very naughty child, like just always, always trying to do pranks. I was that kid. <laughs> so for me, I'm also a very difficult person to indoctrinate. So you could, you know, put me in the pews, I'll listen to sermons, no problem. And I'll be that kid that's asking questions. That just annoys the hex out of people, right? So I'm very much an engineer at heart, very yeah. rational, very logical. It has its own shortcomings as well. However, because I was born this way, and I think it's a very fortunate coincidence, when you put a child like this in a narcissistic family, she is going to push back. As the eldest, my parents had every intention of making me their golden child as the one that's supposed to push the siblings to all stay in line, but I was the one who raised the revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Dear me. So I think when I look at people in my group, right, I I think there is a fallacy that a lot of people has, which is called a just world fallacy, which is, you know, if I made it, right, why couldn't you make it? It must be because you're, you don't try hard enough, right? You're lazy or, you know, a lot of times we feel like, you know, this person is poor because they're just lazy. It's a very common throwdown, but I think that's not taking into account that everybody's born with different EQ, different IQ, different circumstances, and different combination of the genes you're born with and the experience and the environment you were thrown in. I have one of the one of my siblings has a um, a more conforming temperament, and guess what? Had she been born into a family with loving parents who coach her correctly she could go very far. Whereas I could be, you know, say totally obstinate, Mm. flunk out of school, go and smoke on the side, totally a rascal if I have very loose parents. So you never know how things might turn out. So I think I would just like to encourage people to maybe judge less and then say, everybody is really hopefully (laughs) trying the best that they possibly can with the resources and understanding they have at the time, which is also another thing that I, share with survivors in my group is if we feel like we screwed up and we always mess up, we're not perfect. We do the best we can. 
but to recognize that we cannot judge the person in the past for not knowing better. Mm. Because had we known better, guess what? We've already done better. <laughs> so that question in itself, like, why, why was I so stupid? And I wasted, you know, five years, 20 years with this narcissist. Mm. Well, if you knew better, you would have done better. Mm. At the same time, it doesn't absolve you from responsibility. Because mm. sometimes I also hear, you know, survivors say, well, you know, we can't blame, we can't make the enabling parent responsible because the enabling parent, you know, the parent who stood aside and did nothing and watched your child get abused, mm. the enabling parent uh, was probably also a trauma sufferer. They probably were also abused as a child. Mm. That is not good enough. No. When we were a child, we have no choice, right? What was done to us is not our fault. But as an adult, at some point, we have to say, I'm an adult. Yes, bad things were done to me. But now I am an adult, I decide. I do not have to pass on abuse. Mm. So there are plenty of people that were abused that don't pass it on as well. So I think at some point we have to say, I'm an adult, I take control, I need to get better. It's on me, it's on my shoulders. And this is where I was trapped for a long time that I actually, I was surprised it was a blind spot for me. Uh -huh. So as a child, I was a high functioning child because my parents were not doing anything for me there in a way it was like some kind of role reversal where my mom would pull my siblings aside and say you guys need to study really hard because one day you're going to save mommy <laughs> it wasn't mommy's going to save you guys from being abused it is you are going to save mommy and as a child i'm like yes mom yes mom stop crying please i will save you i'm going to study hard and that was my dream i'm going to come to the u.s i'm going to take care of you that was always my dream until I saw through it. Mm. So I kind of, I think I almost just lost my train of thought. But yeah, I think the, the overall point is, um, oh gosh, I really lost my train of thought. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's fine. It's beautiful because you're, you have let your mask down and you were so honest and so... You, you really went deep there into your emotions and, and how this, this whole transformation really, really occurred. And it is, it is such a complex thing that when you were abused as a child to now not fall into the trap of, of repeating the same story. It, because it is, you have highlighted how important that insight is. And who, who is developing that insight nowadays? So few people. I, I know that for, unfortunately, for a fact, because here in Waterua in New Zealand, we have got mm. a huge domestic violence uh, issue. We have got family harm is left, right and center. If you were to listen to a police scanner, every other bloody call out will be for a family harm incident. And it is exactly that. And it is the, the generational hand-me-down of of abuse and of of no one having the insight to scratch that that vinyl scratch that that music so that once and for all it will not uh will not repeat itself in the same way now it is that is what we need to achieve in our society and it's people like you who can show us how to do that it's people like you who have gone through the transformation and who are now 
open about their journey. And that is so powerful. That is so beautiful. So you may, you, you are a gorgeous, gorgeous woman for speaking up, for saying, this was my past, but this will not be my future. And be there to, to have founded this community your uh, love is uh, your life is love school, which is so beautiful, absolutely beautiful. When did you start that? Out of interest, when oh, I started it earlier this year. I think oh, because part of the reason is because a lot of people are suffering more depression and more anxiety being in isolation. Yeah, so I thought yeah. it would be a good time to start the survivors group. Mm. It's something I've always wanted to do, and I realized that if I can heal and help mm. survivors get better. Yeah. Not only do we alleviate suffering right now, but it's it stops the generational abuse from passing on, as you said. Mm. Awareness is number one. I think my parents, unfortunately, never had the awareness. When you look at people that abuse fundamentally, they are in pain. A happy, joyful, peaceful person doesn't go and abuse other people. They don't turn into sadists. Mm. These people are in pain, and they do not know a better way to get out of their pain than to put it onto somebody else. And that's really unfortunate. A lot of times we get confused. We look at an overt narcissist differently from a covert narcissist. We're like, oh, this overt narcissist is so grandiose, seems so confident, not realizing that the overt and the covert, all abusers, fundamentally suffer from low self-esteem. Mm. A high self-esteem person does not need to step other people down and certainly not abuse children to feel better. So true. All of these are abusive tactics are low self-esteem people, afraid of being abandoned, afraid that people will not willingly choose to be with them or willingly love them, that they use control, manipulation, guilt trips, et cetera, to try to lock people around, keep people around. And then you'll see parents with behaviors of wanting to clip their kids' wings. When their children are starting to show independence, they would destroy their self-esteem, use money to control them, et cetera, to pull them right back. Because otherwise, I mean, there is this codependency there. If, if suddenly this child actually starts to stand on its own feet, well, there is nothing there to hold a narcissistic codependent personality. Uh, they either have to grow up and that's that's not what they want. They want to keep it like that because that's how they feel stable. And no, we can't have you doing that. Crikey. How large is your group? How many people are in there now? So I reach people through multiple channels. So they can find me on lifeisloveschool.com. Initially, I started with blogs and newsletters, and then I realized I could help people more directly on a discussions basis mm. through private Facebook groups. So I run that as well. And of course, I'm across all the social media channels. Mm. My goal is reach because a lot of times if I could just reach out to that lady or that guy who mm. is trying to leave an abusive person, but repeatedly going back, if I can show them why they feel that way, why it's not love, but addiction, mm. show them how the brain works, how to remove yourself from that situation, that awareness that, oh, oh, it's not love, it's an addiction. Mm. Oh, they're conditioning my brain to be attached to them in this way. Oh, I see. The beauty of being a human and having this human life is that we can understand. Once you have the understanding, you're literally 
peeling off the curtain and you see the Wizard of Oz guy who's just, just that old feeble guy, you know, pulling all the cranks and um, putting on a big show. But that's just, you know, a little guy there doing this thing. You could never watch the show again. <laughs> so a lot of times what I do is I try to help people pierce the veil so there's no more confusion. Once they're con- clear on what's actually going on, then they have agency over, okay, knowing that this is what it is, what do I need to do to protect, protect myself and protect my children? What is the right thing to do? And what is the right thing to do that I should do despite it being very difficult? To pierce the veil. That's a beautiful, beautiful description, a beautiful metaphor that you have just used there, because it is like that we are, we are, we're keeping this kind of we're keeping the blinkers up in our own life. We as very few of us dare to remove the blinkers and and face the facts and face the reality. And we we need people who can help us there. And I mean you are one of these people who have gone out there to do that and for kudos to you for that. Guys. Yeah, it's um, just an extra point, which is it's extremely difficult to see through our blind spots because, exactly. you know, as the example I gave, right, the coping mechanism, it kept us safe for so long. Why would we ever let it go? But coping mechanisms have a way of being self-reinforcing. Mm-hmm. If I'm gray rocking you, for example, in our friendship and, you know, one day you said something innocuous and I interpret it as a personal assault, but I don't communicate it to you. Mm. I start to distance from you and then you started getting offended and you distance me. And guess Mm. what goes in my mind? I'm like, see, I was right about that Stephen guy. Mm. He is exactly how I think he is. Right. Mm. So it self reinforces. So to get rid of a coping mechanism, it's really scary for a lot of people to change is really, really scary because We knew that to some extent the coping mechanism worked then. Mm. So in order to change, you got to change it gradually. So I have to put myself out there. Hey, Stephen, the other day you said something and did you really mean it? Like give that person a chance Mm. and then see how it plays out. Mm. Once I start to see positive exchanges come back, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I could change. So change happens gradually, but you have to be deliberate about it. I and hope in, that helps. Oh, hell yes, hell yes. I guess my point was to to tell everyone who is listening and viewing out there, it is absolutely normal to be confused. And we all have had trauma, some of us far more than others. But this is not a pissing contest. This is your trauma is your trauma. This, and you, you, you deserve better. You deserve a transformation. You deserve the insight. But it's very, very hard to develop all that just yourself. So it doesn't work because, as I said, the, the blind spots are blind spots for a reason. So you need to find someone who is at your side and, and can listen to you and and help you to reflect what you have just said. But more importantly, reflect what you have not said. So that is where a psychologist comes in. That's where a life coach comes in. That's where uh, people like you may come in. You, You guys need someone to 
help you deal with that supercomputer up there where no one has ever given you a computer manual, a, hand, a manual to, to, to understand what is going on. And I think that is the, the beautiful thing. And yeah, if I, I can add to what you just said, which is so wonderfully said, I remember at one point I was so stressed and depressed. I was telling my psychologist, like, what should I do? I see the world through my brain, but my brain is not wired right now because <laughs> right? it was wired for an environment where I was controlled by two parents that were abusing me. It was mm. wired for that environment. And now it's not functioning that well in this mm. new world. But this is the only brain I have and everything I see is through this brain. What should I do? So if people are listening and feeling very frustrated, just know that at the beginning, it is the hardest. Unfortunately, the start of healing is the hardest because your brain is so wired for that world. But as you start rewiring it, it gets fixed little bit by little bit and it just works better and better. Sort of like, you know, if I'm severely overweight and never worked out a day in my life, when I first start, it's very hard. I'm like 300 pounds. Um, but as I start losing weight, the workout becomes easier. I'm stronger. So it does become easier and easier. So don't give up just because the start is hard. And a perfect example of what you gave with the weight, it's equally the same with dealing with your own blind spots uh, it's and the trauma to actually start peeling back the, the onion layers and actually seeing well what actually the trauma is shining light into the darkness that is your 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 negative emotions is incredibly painful but it is such a rewarding thing it is bizarre it is and it still happens to me every single day uh, and it often comes in rushes and, and bounds i think i'm okay and then six months pass and suddenly something happens and i seek the help of a coach or, or of someone who helps me get an insight and suddenly there's this aha moment duh and it is it is so obvious there yet i had not seen it and I'm now 54, and here I am. I still have got these bloody aha moments. I had one this morning where I thought, really? Really? And that's normal. That is bloody normal. So your work never stops because you're a human being. You need to adapt. Your environment changes constantly. New challenges arise constantly. And to fall back onto the old coping mechanisms is so easy because they're so deeply ingrained and they have helped you for years and years and years, especially in those formative years where they are so deeply ingrained, you, you know? And it's the same here with, with regards to the, that you, the, the fact that you need to work on yourself. That will never go away because remember, you've had 20 years, 30 years of this particular coping mechanism. And now you think one insight and maybe one or two reflections, that'll, that's it? That will wipe out 20 years of your coping mechanism? So Definitely. Yeah, that's well said. And I think even for a person with good enough parents, they still have limiting beliefs. We just pick it up you know, as part of life. And it's really important to constantly be self-reflecting. Journaling is a very good tool for that. To constantly look at my life to say, which area is working? That's great. Which area is not working? And then try to see if there's a systematic error. Because it's okay to error once. Error twice, and I start to think about 
what do I need to fix so that I don't run into it again? Right. That's how you become a more and more efficient person and living the better life. And I think to your point, everybody is on a lesson. I can't get lesson number 10 if I haven't done lesson number nine. That's the way that the universe is. It doesn't give you the more subtle, the the more differentiated lessons until you're ready for it. But it will never end. I, I believe that I will be on a lesson every single day of my life until the day I die. Because if I don't, am I not working on a lesson, then I'm stagnating. I'm not becoming a better person. So that's why I named the site Life is Love School. Because I fundamentally believe that we came here to learn how to love ourselves mm. and how to love other people better. And it's a school. Mm. It's a never-ending school. Everybody's on a lesson. <laughs> Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And I wouldn't have it any other way nowadays because I'm continuously growing. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful feeling to have that inside. Like today, this morning here, talking to you, there were so many insights which put a really big cheesy smile on my face because I've learned and I've grown by just listening to you and reflecting to you. I'm incredibly grateful and I knew this would be a cool interview and it was. There's no two ways around it. You may uh, please repeat again, how can people find you? How can people uh, get in touch with you? So they can find me on lifeisloveschool.com and um, I'll send you a link that has a link to all of my social media. People want to find it, especially if they want to join a newsletter or talk to other survivors. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of power in talking to other survivors. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be a therapist. They don't have to have, you know, found the answer. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times just knowing that, oh, you're like this too. You're also hypervigilance. You Mm -hmm. also have issues with sleep. You don't feel as alone. And you also, the more important thing is you also know that you're not broken. Mm. Oh yeah. I adapted gray rocking. It's not because I'm broken. It's because I'm normal, a normal person put under abnormal circumstances, they will adapt. And this is survival. It's adaptive. Your inner child, your child did what they can to, to help yourself. So be kind to yourself, but understand that things have changed. So we have to evolve. I think that's the right attitude to have. Mm. It's not recriminating yourself for not knowing better, for falling for the narcissist, right? No. If you knew better, you would do better. And every day, that's all we can strive for. Every day in every way, Mm. I'm doing better. And for that insight, I'm happy and grateful nowadays. And I, I want you guys out there, you listeners, I want you to come to the same point. Life is life is too short. And yes, the past was maybe not so so nice for you. But today, right now, you have made the choice to listen to that and, and to watch us. Well done. Now, now, stop that interview, take a deep breath, drink a glass of water and think, hey, what's the next cool thing I can do to actually help myself and look after myself and maybe some, some healthy food? And maybe some exercise and maybe, you know, there's so many little things where you can do the basics and then you can say, well, I, I check out this you made and she has something there. And there's another decision. There's another choice you have made. So you're no longer the, the passive victim. You are taking action and you choose in which direction that action goes. And that makes you powerful. That makes you no longer the victim. This makes you a person who is striving to become the best person that she or he can be. And how beautiful is that? 
You're exactly right. The difference between a victim and a survivor is the belief. This victim believed that their things happen to them. They have no control. Whereas the survivor says, you know, I'm a big person now. I have agency. I can heal. I don't have to pass on abuse. It's come from a position of power. So the same thing happens to a person. Somebody can say a victim and some people turn into a, a survivors. So it's, yeah. it's incredibly powerful that we have that choice. Exactly. You may, on that note, I'm so grateful that you came today onto my show. I'm so, so, so grateful, honored. And there is so much we can explore. I've got a feeling that we might need to do another interview down the line and explore <laughs> a, few, a few other aspects. I'd be happy to. Oh, that yeah. would be wonderful. I enjoy talking and, to you very much. Oh. And I'm obviously very passionate about this topic. Oh, I, from the bottom of my heart, I do not want any more children to suffer. Exactly. Oh, you're so right. And you guys out there, look after yourself and make those right decisions. This is your life. Don't take it for granted. Live it with purpose and, and focus on the now. Right now, what can you do to make your life better? Look after yourself out there. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.